Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Alex Dean. Alex is a Senior Managing Director and Head of UK Public Affairs at FTI Consulting. He regularly appears on UK TV, so he's uh, no stranger to an engagement with the media, and he squeezed a lot into his 20-year career, including a number of successful uh, career transitions, uh, principally one from a barrister to his current role in public affairs. Hi, Alex. How are you? Tony, it's great to be with you. Thank you very much. I'm very well. Excellent. And are you uh, ensconced at home like most of us? Like like all of us, I am at home. Um, mm. I have had coronavirus. Uh, I've come through it. So I did my time in isolation, um, in my self-quarantine. And most recently, I'm now in isolation again because I was in Ukraine um, for a client of mine. And Ukraine is not on our approved list. So I had to go into isolation again when I came back. By the way, their R rate is a lot lower than ours. So reason, not the logic of being required to self-isolate. But there we are. Yes, I'm at home. We're all struggling with the logic. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Out, of, out of the the thirty, you know, with your show thirty, and you're the first person to say that you've you've had it. What was your experience of it? So um, I felt rotten on on a Friday afternoon into the evening. As it happens, I was on Sky uh, that night, and I kind of you know whinged to my fellow. Um, panelist and and host that night that I wasn't feeling great and kind of I mean I just I felt a bit, a bit fluey and then that weekend I felt pretty rotten I was laid up with fever um, throughout the Saturday but by the Sunday afternoon I was feeling well enough that when um, I did another shift I did an extra shift on Sky in in the evening and I felt kind of better so it's pretty narrowly defined in terms of when I was actually sick and laid up mm. but then. But I knew that I had to have a test because the guidance says if you have a fever like that and if you have other symptoms, then you should. And I'd lost my se- my sense of taste and smell completely. Right. Um, so uh, I had a test on the Monday and got the confirmation back by text on the Tuesday that I had coronavirus. Uh, and by that time, I just felt a bit tired. I was all right generally. But to display quite how how much you lose those senses, at least in my case, my other half, who's a very sceptical soul, demanded that I um, – I, I sniff a pot of Marmite, which I hate to demonstrate. That, and I couldn't smell it at all. And still sceptical, she said, right, eat this then, and gave me an onion, which I could eat raw like it was an apple. Um, so my, I totally lost taste and smell completely. And has that returned then, Alex? Uh, not really. I still, for ex- to give you a sense of my what I enjoy, I still can't tell the difference between flavours of wine gums, right. uh, which is quite a blow. 
Uh, on the other hand, I can't really tell the difference between good and bad wine. So it's quite a significant budgetary saving for, for the household. Okay. Uh, ups, ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, for every cloud. So yeah, you, you well, I, 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 I'm, that is very interesting that, that you've come through. And obviously I'm really glad that, that it's not had any, you know, thank particularly you, bad uh, effect on you, but it's uh, it's certainly on everyone's minds at the moment. Well, now we now we know your your physical state. Let's let's have a, uh, a think around your career because I've obviously done a bit of investigating into it uh, and found it very interesting. Could you give uh, the audience uh, the sort of you know the quick potted history? Sure. I knew that I wanted to, or I thought I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer because I'd spent a lot of time when I was an undergraduate debating um, for my university. Um, uh, to quite to quite a good level, and a lot of people who did that um, had gone on to be barristers. So I, I really felt the appeal of um, of being a barrister and advocating cases in court. And um, indeed, I joined my inn of court. Is all all the those processes can be quite rococo, but you know, I joined my inn of court uh, whilst I was still an undergraduate reading English literature. So kind of that was my direction of travel, but. Whilst I was studying for the law, and indeed prior to that, I'd always been very interested in politics. And um, I had a, I applied for a job with the Conservative Party, totally speculatively, um, whilst I was a student, when I was coming towards the end of my um, legal studies. And I know a lot of people think that these things require deep connections and so forth. And I'm sure sometimes that can be true and sometimes it can be helpful. But, you know, I didn't have any relatives in the Tory party. I didn't, really, I didn't know anyone who was an MP or anything like that. I wrote a letter blind to the Conservative Party saying, you know, give us a job. And they were, um, invited me for an interview. I went for an interview with two people, one of whom is now in the House of Lords, George Bridges, and one of whom is now an MP, a minister, John Glenn. At the time, they were kind of you know, heads of research. And um, we had a good conversation and they said, don't call us, we'll call you. I thought, yeah, all right. Uh, but they did. Um, I got a call saying, no job with us, but there's a member of parliament called Tim Collins, not the former soldier um, politician, um, who's seeking someone um, like you. So I went to become Tim's terribly grand title, for which I've been running away ever since, but chief of staff. I went and became Tim's chief of staff before the 2005 election. And did that um, for a number of months and then was expecting, was seconded to central office, Tory HQ, over that election. And I expected to go back to Tim's office afterwards, but Tim lost his seat. Um, like you say, every cloud has a silver lining because I um, then went, because of Tim lost his seat, uh, I went to work for David Cameron um, in opposition, not in, in government. But he, he became education shadow secretary, which is the role that my previous boss Tim had had so I worked with Cameron until it became time for me to start my pupillage which is the training period for you at the bar that was always quite limited the time I was going to be spending with um, the Tories but it was eventful um, so and then I did pupillage became a barrister had some time in-house um, with a law firm as well as being um, uh, a self-employed practicing barrister um, but after five years of appearing in court and you know I'd done Court of Appeal work and High Court work and uh, lots and lots of Crown Court and Magistrates Court work. Um, I, I confess that I realised it probably wasn't really the career for me. I missed working in teams. I really enjoy working in teams. I do now and, and I'm lucky enough to lead one. Um, I missed um, the cut and thrust of politics, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And I realised I probably wasn't that great a lawyer. 
Um, I hope I'm a good advocate, but I wasn't particularly good at paper law, not least because I wasn't hugely interested in it. I'd always seen it more as an advocacy role. And having spent time writing speeches and preparing people for political appearances and events and debates, that was the part that I enjoyed more. Um, I, I, I know this is a bit convoluted, but whilst I was at the bar, I was having a conversation with an old friend of mine called Matthew Elliott, who had gone on to be um, the head of the No to AV campaign when we had the referendum in the UK. He set up the Taxpayers Alliance, and most famously, he then led Vote Leave in the referendum we had about our membership of the EU. And I was kicking this stuff around with Matthew, and he had an idea about a civil liberties campaigning organisation uh, from the right, because we'd basically allowed the notion of civil liberties and freedoms to be occupied by liberty, which, as Shami Chakrabarti's elevation to be a Labour mem uh, member of the House of Lords implies, and we thought these, you know, the idea of the rule of law and freedom under the law, these are as much ideas about our conservative perspective as they are about the left. So we set up Big Brother Watch. I did so thinking that I would continue practicing at the bar whilst running a campaigning organization. Well, that was for the birds, and that disappeared very quickly. As this conversation, as this narrative implies, it was we're kind of learning on the hoof, and there, it wasn't massively planned. But I learned very quickly that I couldn't, for example, take on a two-day trial whilst we were I was releasing a report, because that report would mean I'd need to be available for radio and be available for TV and so forth. So it was one or the other. And my direction to travel, as this conversation implies, was clear. I left the bar full-time at Big Brother Watch. And after doing that for a little under a couple of years, um, my old boss, Tim Collins, from earlier in this narrative, said, um, how about we work together again? And he was in consultancy by that point. So I then came full circle, and here I am in consultancy 10 years later. Yes, with FTI, and they're a very interesting organisation, aren't they? they? Do you know a, a sort of myriad of very interesting things? Not 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 a not a big four outfit, but very much a you know high end uh, consultancy that that uh, operates in some interesting spaces. Sure, we are. Um, the firm would always want me to say we're one of the consistently highest, highly ranked professional services businesses in the world. Um, some thousand of us in London, six thousand consultants worldwide. Um, and lots of professional services activity in things like forensic accountancy and forensic litigation, corporate finance, um, which is where you and accounting where you see some of that rival to the big four work that you imply, management, straight management consultancy and that sort of activity. But I work in the strategic communications um, division, as my background implies, and I run a team of some 35 government relations specialists, so public affairs practitioners working with our clients on their messaging to government and their messaging in the political environment. Yeah, it's an interesting space, isn't it? And what, talk to me more about that sort of transition, because I think there's probably a lot of people right now making, you know, maybe maybe thinking about how one career might be ending for them. It's possible sure. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of change going on and, and how they might pivot i think is the is the term that people like to use um sure. into, into a new one and, and it, it seems you can see there's a tie up there in the sort of work that you've done is that how people need to think about uh pivoting in in terms of you know using past experience to to, to and taking that into a new area it's a really interesting question if i may say and i, I think tony the first thing i would say is that i'm acutely aware of how lucky i am and how lucky i've been I'm very aware, I feel very lucky to have, I've never felt so, so fortunate and, and and blessed to have a job. I mean, these are tough times. And I really feel for younger people coming into the workplace now, so, I mean, I'm over 40, so I'm all right, Jack. It's, you know, I'm really cognizant of, of the potential to be, you know, for, not to be too 
sort of not to have be self-aware enough of how lucky I've been. And if I were you know, 20, 21 year old trying to break into the kinds of things that I that I'm talking about now. First of all, there are far fewer of these opportunities because places can't provide internships in the same way. Offices are closed. Mm. Secondly, the kinds of jobs you might rely on to, well, I've done my fair share of waitering and temping and, you know, being a receptionist in buildings and, you know, all, all sorts of selling windows. I mean, I've done a lot, you know, because mm. you, you always work and try and bring money in, right? Um, I, I'm acutely aware that many of the jobs people would fall back on aren't there either because retail and hospitality has been hammered hard. But yes, it's a long way around of coming to say, I think you do have to be versatile and flexible. Um, now, maybe it's easy for me to say, working as I do for one of a very large listed business, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but I've come to that relatively fortuitously and via a pretty weird route, right? So um, I hope I've shown that kind of flexibility and um, willingness to, to change along the way. Um, and I think that some people will go, still go into careers for life, contrary to what some people say. Mm. Some people will, will be called to the bar, age 21 or age 23, and be a barrister until they retire. But that was not for me. And um, I think while some people will do that, I think as a percentage of the working population, far fewer people will. And if that's right, then I think you've got to be more cognizant and aware of the potential for change, not just if the recruiter comes knocking, but by dint of your own efforts and your own thinking i think we're all responsible for our own careers and we need to be proactive about thinking if we want a change and not just wait for the finger to come down from heaven and say you dean will now shift from being a barrister to being um head of a campaigning organization or whatever that's a very interesting point you made i i i've uh, my sort of a career move secret is all about taking taking sort of uh, ownership of, of your own career because I do think, look, you know, most people's careers do develop through opportunism, you know, and, and quite often it's somebody like me sure. as a headhunter that that that, uh, that suggests an opportunity to you, you investigate it, you are interviewed for it, and, and maybe you take it on. But it actually is much much harder, and the situation I think most people who are looking find themselves in today, which is where they're actively looking as opposed to bit passive and, and an opportunity comes away and they get to evaluate it it's a really different mindset when you actually your your new job is to find a job and I, I find that a lot of people struggle with it because they don't know what to do it's a job that they don't know how to do you know that the finding of a job is a, is a job in itself and it's one they're not trained to do so you know they they they, they tend to uh, look for somebody else to deal with it for them and, and it can be a recruiter you know i have lots of conversations with people where they, they, you know, they try and leverage uh, quite rightly, you know, what what I might think about it or, or what advice I could give them. But I really struggle unless they have a direction in mind because, you know, the world's a big place. Uh, you, you know, you you can't help somebody hit a target if they have if they haven't got one. Haven't so got one. you know, it's yeah. it's interesting that you've gone through that that process of, you know, internal reflection, understanding what does drive you and what doesn't, and then heading in a in a different direction because that's 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 something I think people need to to do. And it can be quite Definitely. hard to do that. And I would also say that there's nothing wrong with realizing to yourself that you're on the wrong track or you're on a track that isn't quite the right one for you or you want to tweak it or change it. Um, I don't regret the fact that I um, was a lawyer. I would describe myself as a recovering lawyer now. You know, you never leave unless you commit some terrible offense or something. You're still a barrister or a bit non practicing. But, you know, I don't regret the fact that I did that notwithstanding the fact that it took years of my life to qualify mm. and quite a lot of cash because mm. you learn skills in that environment and have experiences that I think are eminently transferable. I'm not encouraging people to, you know, flee 
the law in, in, in saying this, but I think that in, in my example, I think you can see that you learn um, skills about constructing arguments and about um, conveying oneself in public and about advocacy and conveying a message, which I absolutely use now in the corporate environment. And indeed, um, perhaps immodestly, but thinking about the profession, I think reflect well on me and the profession and that people take comfort from the fact that someone isn't just a uh, inverted commas consultant. After all, what does that mean in and of itself? But has a background in doing something that's real and means, you know, I've got up on my hindquarters and, and expressed myself in court. Um, mm. I think that helps. Yeah, I do. I think there's a there's a lot of transferable skills that that people can take from one place to another. But you you need to think about it hard, and 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 you need to be your own advocate and explain what that is and how it has an effect. You know, I, I talk to to, to uh, uh, active job seekers about the idea of a sort of personal value proposition, being able to to put something together in a, a you know succinctly that describes sure. what they do, or if they're not currently doing that why they should be doing that and how their you know their background lends itself to it and i think again these are things that um, you know are easy to say but hard to do um but it you know it is all important if you're going to if you're going to communicate that effectively to somebody and get them to to, to take you seriously um that can be that can be really tricky in terms of in terms of your sort of career uh, transitions, is, is there any particular advice that you would give to people? That, you know, and, and get the impression that you've you've obviously leveraged your network or your networks come for you. Is is that the primary sort of route to market for you, or have, have you actively? Yeah, it has been, and I, yeah. I'm very aware of the fact that you know one person's experience isn't for everybody, and mm. you know um, lots of people will be going or wanting to go into professions where everything that I've just described is completely irrelevant, but purely for my own um, activities. And what I would say to a young person seeking to come into my field in government relations and public affairs is that um, there's great value in being part of a network and being part of, um, if I can put it like this, in being part of a tribe. Mm. You know, I didn't join the Conservative Party to get a job. I joined the Conservative Party because it reflects my beliefs. Mm. Um, but the the roles that I've had in in my career have taken a great deal of significant a great significance uh, in them has come from the fact that I'm part of that tribe and the people that I've worked with whether it be um, the Big Brother Watch activity I described to you with Matthew Elliott who was very much aligned with me politically or the work that I did with Tim Collins coming both into politics itself and then into consultancy came because we had a, a shared background and narrative which meant that. Um, we'd campaign together. And in the same way, I think that young people seeking in, get, getting into public affairs and lobbying, and some people are very interested in that kind of activity, um, will really benefit from being involved on the ground with their own party, not doing it as a means to an end, but because it teaches you about the value of those networks. And it means that people see you in a different light, not merely as a political observer, but as a political participant mm. who is actively in the game, has skin in the game. And once you're doing that, you are a different proposition to someone who just says airily, I'm a consultant and I advise on these things. I think that when I talk to a, um, a young person seeking a job in, in my discipline, uh, I'll ask them, are they a member of a party? There's no wrong answer about which party they're a member of. The wrong answer really is, oh, nothing really reflects my interests. I'm not really involved in any, and therefore, you know, no, nothing really completely reflects my political views, and therefore, I'm not a member of any. Well, 
at some point you've got to nail your colors to the mast and say i'm on the left or i'm on the right in my discipline at least and that's um, part of what we do. And indeed, it's part of where you get your credibility as a consultant, that you're active in these um, uh, environments and therefore have something more to offer your clients than an abstract point of view. You have an invested point of view. And would you, would you sort of extrapolate that to other people who, who outside of that industry who are maybe, you know, they're in a transition period, but they could be getting involved in, doesn't have to be political, but it could be perhaps, sure. you know, community orientated stuff or uh, it could be another, another interest group, another area that they, yeah. they're passionate about. Is that, is that helpful in your career? Because you're, because you get, you know, a different exposure, maybe you get to, to lend your skills to a different environment to one that you've been in before. Good question. So I'm a member of a livery company, which is one of the city of London's you know, square miles um, that grew out of the guilds. They grew out of things that provided the medieval equivalent of trading standards. They made mm. sure that your meat wasn't rotten and all that your table was made to a sufficient standard. And over time, they've evolved into and some of them are still very closely related to their industries. And some of them are basically charitable and goodwill organizations like the one that, that I belong to. Um, and I've never had work directly through it, I don't think, uh, but it's certainly done me no harm that I meet interesting people and people who are in the city through that kind of activity. In the same way, I, I was elected in the square mile as a common councilman or councillor um, mm. for six for six years. I, did, I didn't do that to get work, but uh, nevertheless, it meant that I met a huge number of people who were active in and around the square mile and gave me a great deal more credibility when I came to be a city consultant. I mean, I'm a I'm a city um, consultant now, and if you'd asked me 20 years ago if that was what I would be doing, I'm, I'm hell no would have been the answer. But part of that, that that transition has become easier because by the time I, I was doing this kind of work, I was meeting people greatly senior to me in that sort of world by dint of the fact that I was involved in what was a voluntary organisation. I mentioned, by the way, city councillors are completely unpaid so it wasn't mm. like some other roles which would supplement your income i was doing that on a completely unpaid basis but there's all sorts of very interesting things you get to do as a result of it so yes in my experience i've benefited greatly through that sort of thing on the flip side um yeah i volunteer at my local homeless shelter it's become more relevant and important in this coronavirus time albeit a bit more abstract because um there's nothing glamorous about it serving food and, and washing up and so forth but um, the people we serve aren't, come, aren't on site anymore because they can't gather because of coronavirus. So we're making meals, which then get shipped off somewhere else. So it feels slightly removed from the actual execution end. Um, I don't do that for, you know, I certainly don't meet any, any people in business through that, but yeah. I, uh, I nor, nor do I do that because it's sort of, you know, well done, Alex. But I would say that, um, I would say that, having something in your life that is more than just work that's on the cv that people might look at and say that's interesting why do you do that then yes. i think that's always very good I, I do i think if you if you've got something that yeah because ultimately when you're looking to employ somebody you've got to work with them you've got to like them first and foremost and and if they have uh something in there that is that you can it is it, actively a hook in the interview, and sometimes it's the hook that actually gets you the interview in the first place, is that people think, oh, that's interesting that you're doing that and that you're involved in this. Um, and it's it's a it's a topic for conversation. So I, I agree with you. I think it can be it can be a um, 
a really good thing to do if you're in transition and you're maybe you've got a little bit of time in your hands and you want to stay pro- uh, stay active and be proactive. So, uh, Alex, look, I'm conscious that uh, I, I'm taking up your time and you your other things uh, uh, to, to do. So, I shall I shall not take any more of it. But I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's great. I love talking to you, and I just want to say I wish your listeners the very best of luck in their job search. It's a wretched time to be uh, to be searching, and my, I really am sympathetic to their plight. Thank you. Cheers, Alex. All the very Cheers. best. Take care. From politics to a barrister to a, uh, a public relations consultant, uh, I think Alex has had quite a career there. And he's obviously made a number of transitions. One that really interested me was this idea of going from a barrister, which is this, you know, extremely expensive route that, um, you know, very few take and, and even less succeed in taking. Um, and, and then you know, and it's quite a long process. And uh, and, and actually, you know, it's, a, it's an ambition that many people have. Um, but tearing that up uh, and starting again, that's an interesting thing for somebody to do. And I think, obviously, from Alex's point of view, he's realised that it wasn't for him. Um, I wonder how many of us realise that in our career, the career that we set off on initially or, or the one that perhaps fell into our laps, that maybe that's not for us. And it can be quite a big decision to move away from that. So uh, a hard one to make, but a one that perhaps... Uh, right now where people are perhaps having to rethink their careers it's it's one that maybe people should think about um if you are in that situation uh, and you want some help in terms of really putting together that new career do have a look at some of the free resources on my site one of them for instance is a hidden job market masterclass the other one is a um a, a masterclass for your CV or resume, particularly in terms of beating the uh, applicant tracking system. They're both available at careermovesecrets.com. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, please do consider subscribing because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming along very soon. Mm-hmm.